Thanks so much, Bill and Nikki, and happy Father's Day, everybody. Well, last Sunday, Alan Scott, our dear friend, senior pastor of Anaheim Vineyard Church in, uh, in California, spoke to us from Acts 10, and he just kind of released a sort of prophetic depth charge amongst us. I know many of us were deeply impacted. Some of you have been emailing me this week saying how you wished we could just get together face to face to kind of process uh, such significant words. Uh, I know some of our prayer meetings this week have focused in on Alan's words. And of course, we just want to be a people who are open to kind of the Holy Spirit just to come into the room and disrupt us and speak to us in unexpected ways, especially at a time like this. So today... I'm going to continue our ACT series, um, but I want to explore some of the specific themes that Alan shared by returning to Acts 10, which he said is a passage that contains particular treasures for us as a church right now. And I also want to unpack some of the things that this chapter has to say about race, inclusion and cultural diversity and I'm going to interview Natalie Stafford-Williams at the end, to that end. So let's turn to Acts 10, verses uh, 1 to 6, shall we? Acts 10, 1 to 6. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. God said to Cornelius, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Isn't that an incredible thought? That all the stuff that we've been doing uh, with the lighthouse, partnerships with organisations like CSW, uh, Justice and Care, Tear Fund, Matrix Trust, Vaughan House, uh, Work in Send Prison, Love Your Neighbour. Even just last week, just giving so generously to help Seth Pinnock pioneer this work, providing extra tuition for young black men. All these things kind of rise up to God together. Justice and compassion and prayer together. The thousands of hours in the prayer room, the dozens of prayer meetings every week. And God kind of breathes in the sweet smell of what we've given to him. Alan put it like this, God has seen Emmaus Road, what you've done on the, in these days for those who have nothing. Both of these things together, the uprising of prayer and the acceleration of compassion are now flowing together in this church and the Lord is about to visit you in a significant way. So all I want to say is just thank you, keep going, keep praying, keep giving, let's keep caring and engaging because these things are rising up as worship to God. The second thing that Alan spoke about from this passage was enterprise, cultural leadership and wealth creation. 
Remember that Cornelius was a centurion and he was a Roman citizen. He was a man with significant cultural and financial power, choosing to use it for God's glory. Alan said over us, I see significant uh, shifts in your city relating to wealth creation and generous compassion. I see the Lord raising up a new dimension of leadership, not just in the church, but in the culture. And he said, I see job creation. These are days when the story of generosity will fill our streets and our cities. Well, here we are heading into recession. Unemployment and those claiming benefits is up 126% so far this year. And it seems to me that if we're going to be good news to our community at this time, we must create jobs, generate wealth. Uh, There's never been a better time for the people of God to be entrepreneurial and faith-filled and creative. Maybe this is a word over someone listening today. God's maybe calling you to start a new business. I think of some of the great Christian entrepreneurs and philanthropists of the past. People like Cadbury, who built entire villages for his employees making chocolate. Or Guinness, who paid his staff the highest wages in Ireland, pioneered free health care, gave pensions and even holidays. Or William Booth, who opened a factory to make matches safely without the use of white phosphorus, because that's what was poisoning the workers and all the other match factories. There's never been a better time. There's never been a, a more necessary time for us to pioneer. Some of us are called to plant churches and some of us are called to plant businesses. Some of us are called to care for the unemployed and others are called to create jobs for them. Isn't it interesting that Guildford was the royal mint for many years? Our history is literally to make money for the king. Those of you with successful businesses, maybe this is a time to take a few risks, not just to ride out the storm. Certainly a time to care for your employees as never before. The third thing that Alan prophesied over us was about monastic and apostolic multiplication. For the early church, this is certainly a moment of massive multiplication, right? The the, the gospel's about to leap into the whole world from the Jewish world. And Alan said this, he said, I see multiplication of houses of prayer and apostolic centers in the aftermath of this moment. The Lord is taking what's been in your heart embryonically for about 18 months, and he's now expanding that. By the way, 18 months ago is when Jill Weber arrived, and this is something she carries deep in her heart. It's an extraordinary confirmation, I believe, of some of the really exciting plans she and others have been working on behind the scenes. You know, Jill currently leads, directly or indirectly, 40 prayer meetings a week. What Alan didn't know is that 24-7 prayer has recently been invited by our friend CWR down at Waverley Abbey, just down the road, which is the site of the first Cistercian Abbey uh, in, in the whole of the UK. And, and there's been a place of prayer since the 7th century. Uh, 24-7 prayer has been invited to move into Waverley Abbey House and establish a praying presence in that space. And uh, we, we haven't ironed out all the details yet, but Jill and her husband Kirk are looking at moving in there to really plant a house of prayer and reopen that ancient monastic world that is at the heart of our community. 
And so that's all been kind of going on in secret. And then out, like the Holy Spirit's just blown our cover. The Holy Spirit came in and said, I see this monastic thing starting to spread out. It's early days, it's small days. But I think what we might well have beginning there is something that can be a sort of mother house to the 24-7 prayer movement and a house of prayer for us uh, locally. So just watch this space on that. That's all I can say on that one. The final thing that I want to draw out of this amazing passage relates to culture and race. This is a moment when the Holy Spirit steps in very dramatically and forces the early church to move from a monoculture to a a beautiful multiculture in which all are equal in Christ. That's what Peter says in verse 34, when he sees the Holy Spirit moving upon all these Gentiles, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This is a disruptive moment of radical equality and inclusion. It's a moment of waking up. It's painful and difficult for Peter. Imagine the first time he bit into a bacon sandwich. He must have felt kind of ashamed. It's culturally offensive. Imagine him coming to terms with the fact that his nation is not God's exclusive favourites. But it's also a wonderful moment. And honestly, I believe we are at a moment like this again, when around the world the Holy Spirit is supernaturally and painfully catapulting many white Christians out of our sense of privilege and entitlement and being God's favourite and forcing us to catch a bigger vision of family with other cultures. I want to be absolutely clear about this. There is no place for racism or prejudice in this church. Men and women, rich and poor, black, brown, white, all are equal. And this isn't me being politically correct, this is me being theologically correct. I confess that I've had to search my own heart. Over the last few weeks I've had to repent in many ways that I had not taken this issue seriously enough previously. As your pastor, I want to say I'm sorry. I've had to do a lot of apologising behind the scenes. And I am determined to listen more, to learn I'm going to be taking a a course to help me process my own unconscious biases. I'm going to be encouraging all of our staff team to do the same. Sammy and I have been invited to dinner with the growing African and Caribbean community at Emmaus, and we absolutely can't wait to attend just as soon as lockdown is over. And I want to say racism is a systemic issue. That's a very biblical way of thinking. Just a mile from my house stands Clandon House, one of the great stately homes in this area. And it may look pretty, but it was built by the proceeds of transatlantic slavery. When it burnt down in 2015, I wrote to the National Trust, begging them not to rebuild it, but to open a garden of remembrance that could educate school children about the atrocity of slavery at the heart of our empire and sadly uh, predictably the National Trust ignored me. As you know in the UK today if you happen to be born black or Asian or minority ethnic you have been hit hit far harder by COVID-19. Your school teachers are likely to have lower expectations of you than your white peers. You'll almost certainly find it harder to get certain jobs 
you're considerably more likely to be arrested. If you're sentenced to prison, you're likely to be given a harsher punishment than a white person who's done exactly the same crime. The list goes on. It's, this is a justice issue. And I believe it's one that we need to lead on as the people of God. We can be the most gloriously diverse community on earth. And that's because right back to that moment when Peter stepped into Cornelius's house and he said, now I realise he awakened the fact God has no favourites. And suddenly the gospel leapt into the whole world so that one day every tribe and every tongue will come together and celebrate Jesus Christ as Lord. It would be inappropriate of me as a white privileged man to talk about this anymore. And so what I want to do now is switch to an interview I conducted just a few days ago with a much loved member of this church, Natalie Stafford Williams. And I just wanted her to share a little bit about what it's been like for her over recent weeks and over recent years to be a black woman in the current context and in this church. So take a look at this. Hey, Natalie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's going to be great to chat. I know lots and lots of people will recognise you because you're always up there, you know, in the worship band. You do lots of the social media stuff uh, for us as a church. But um, just for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Natalie. Um, I work on staff at Emmaus Road. I grew up in Tottenham and um, my heritage is from Ghana. So both of my parents are Ghanaian and I was born in the UK. Um, I have a bunch of siblings. Um, I love colour, as you can see. And I'm just, I'm just very proud of my heritage and my background. Yeah. Awesome. We, 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 we love that about you. It's one of the reasons I've been so keen to, to talk to you today. Um, we're looking at Acts chapter 10 and the way the Holy Spirit kind of came and took the church that was a monoculture, a Jewish monoculture, and really quite violently turned the church into this multicultural global family. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's obviously what we've been experiencing uh, in the Western world uh, recently, quite a violent sense of the Holy Spirit moving and and challenging us to be much more multicultural than we are. And it has felt hopeful and painful and bewildering, but it must be even more complex for you as, as a, a Ghanaian woman. Just tell us, just walk us through a little bit of your own emotions, your own processes since George Floyd's death, and I guess even stretching up way before that. Mm. So um, when... So I, I heard the news about George Floyd actually after the last night of wildfires. And because of some of the some of the murders that had happened before, so Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery, I think my mind couldn't take it. So I just tried to I tried to push it back. So then it wasn't until the next morning that I saw everything again on social media and I was in floods of tears and I was just like why how what exactly is going on that as as much as I don't want to say this time round but why is it that this time round I'm feeling 
these really strong emotions. And um, I think it was because it's just been such an ongoing thing, not even just this year, not even the the other two people who um, lost their lives that I mentioned, but this has been going on for years and years and years. And it's just tiring and it's fatiguing and it's just, yeah, we've just kind of like had enough. Um, yeah. One of the things that I have been very aware of is people saying, you know, that happened in the US. Why are people in the UK so affected? It's because right. even though it's not, it doesn't seem as bad here, but there is still racism and there are still things that we can connect with that happen in the US and in other countries that happened here in the UK as well. So, yeah, it's been a super tiring time. Um, a lot of processing and I think I only have just felt over the past couple of days me coming back to myself because I've just been so emotionally drained yeah I I, I, I can imagine the, the, the um, I think we're all coming to terms in a new way with just systemic racism and I know we've all had to do a lot of soul searching I certainly have just give us a little insight into what that has looked like for you. I don't know if it's just like a little story or something. I'm sure you've got lots of just what it feels like to be black in a white majority culture where there is prejudice. Mm. Um, it's quite a different experience because I've grown up in multicultural societies um like my primary school was very multicultural um my secondary school was quite and then I think it wasn't until uni that I found myself in a predominantly um white space so I studied chemistry and there was probably only four four people of color on the team so I felt I think at the time I felt very exposed um not because anyone had said anything, but I just realised that I looked very different to a lot of people. Um, and it, it, I don't really know how to describe the feeling in words. It's just like a bit of a discomfort. Um, and then I realised that during uni, I was gravitating to the more black Christian unions because that's where I saw myself represented and even the churches that's where I saw myself represented and I think my first experience of like a multicultural church was when I moved um to another one that was called Christian Centre at the time which is our heart church um and it was such a beautiful experience it's like there are so many cultures together and this is what church should look like um and I think after that, going back to London, again, back in a multicultural space, but when I moved to Guildford again, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, which is, I can't really explain, like, there's, it's a bit of an unexplainable feeling, but I am so grateful for the fact that coming to Emmaus made me feel less like that. I just felt like I fit in. Um, but there have there have been times that, it's been, I don't know, I felt a little bit awkward and I don't know if it's because of expectations that I set on myself or just stepping into, um, stepping into like a town and a place that is just not normal to me or doesn't normally see 
black people is normal if you if you get I, I, yeah if you get what I mean um, yeah, I yeah. so now that's really helpful so I love that you're you, you're talking about experience of church that are just beautifully multicultural or hope in that but also just feeling different I'm so glad that Emmaus has you know his family and his home for you but I bet we've got lots of things wrong. I bet. I think. I think uh, Ben Lindsay talks about microaggressions. You know, I bet there's those tiny little, almost subconscious things. It's easy to let go, but they build up. Just, I want to give you. You don't need my permission, but permission just to, just please be honest with us. We all want to listen. We want to learn. We want to get better at, at, at um, you know be inclusive and just celebrating diversity becoming more diverse because yes. you know it shows what jesus is like so so help us where, where are some of the ways that we we go wrong natalie what are some of the little things this i know you've got no axe to grind but you just help us and how how can we get better and i know you you meet with the african caribbean uh, you know, community as part of Emmaus, and and uh, I think I, Sammy and I have been invited to to come for a meal with you all after lockdown, which we are so excited about. Yes. Uh, but, but just give us some give us some advice, uh, please, and be as challenging as you like. Okay. Um, in terms of microaggressions, it is saying things such as, "Oh, you're so eloquently spoken," or kind of saying things that um, are more on the side of exotic, having that kind of like exotic phrasing um, or even yeah. just, oh, you're, you're not like the other black people that I know or you're not that type of black person. It's phrases like that, that as much as some people may think it's a compliment, it's really not. Um, and I would also say, especially for some of us ladies, um, in terms of like wanting to touch our hair and our head wraps, yeah, that's not really a book. It's just kind of like a personal space thing. And I know that our hair grows differently and it looks different and it's very enticing to touch. But especially if you're friends with that person, I would always say ask first um, because it just makes you feel other again. It's like, oh, you're... Um, you're kind of like someone in a you're something in a zoo that people want to pet or you're like a pet um which is just not it's it's not a nice feeling at all and um yeah. I know that at times that if somebody has come to and this is not just me this is other people as well but if someone has come to touch their hair and actually successfully does it's a bit of a shock so you don't really know what to say at the moment so um just ask I would to say that um also listen to conversations there are so many conversations on youtube um where there are people of different cultures having conversations about race watch them you will be more enlightened than you ever thought you could be i have found those conversations so comforting and so encouraging and also there are really there are so many resources out there. There are books, there are places that you can donate to. Um, there are websites that you can go on. I would just say, just read manifestos and um, read everything about movements and places that you're donating to, just to make sure that you align with what their overall purpose is. Um, but yeah, there, there's just so much out there. Um, and yes. 
get to know other people from other cultures. They're, obviously, racism has, over the years, happened predominantly to black people, but there are other people of other cultures that racism happens to as well. So please surround yourself and make friends with people from different cultures and have conversations with them, but don't just have conversations with them because they're of another culture, actually do life with them. And um, so that's some of the things that I would, I would say. That's so helpful. Give, give us like your top couple of books or websites to, to look at. Um, so I'm finishing a book, which I, I'm a really bad reader. So I'm finishing a book called Slay in Your Lane, which is more directed to women, um, to black women and some of the things that we face. And actually for me, it's given a lot of language to feelings that I didn't even realize I had. And there's another one that I'm gonna start reading called Natives and it's by Akala. Um, and another one that has been a really good book that I've been recommended, which I cannot wait to read. It's actually Ben Lindsay's book that um, Josh showed last week. Um, and, and, you, and you have, you have a, a blog. Tell us about your blog. How can, how can we look at it? <laughs> um, so my blog is called Pursue Inspire um, and it's pursueinspire.com. Recently, um, actually two days after George Floyd was killed, I had I wrote a blog post which I wasn't actually going to write, but I sensed that the Lord said, write this blog because it's gonna be it's gonna heal some people and help some people. Um, so it's called wow. Let's Talk About Race, um, and it just kind of talks a bit more in depth about how, as black people, we have felt um, not wanting to be followed around in shops anymore, um, not being discriminated in workplaces because our hair is seen as unprofessional, um, even with kids at school being told that, oh, you have to cut your dreadlocks because if you don't, you will be excluded. Um, it's kind of got all of those all the things that we've had to deal with and actually why this um, this killing of George Floyd and of many others has kind of just hit boiling point. Like this, this yeah. Um, but it's called Pursue Inspire and um, it's not just about race. It's, it's a blog that inspires people to pursue their creative. So no matter what your background is, no matter what age you are, no matter what your journey is, just know that you have all the skills within you that are God-given that can help you to pursue the thing that God has created you to do. Super. Pursue and inspire. Awesome. We'll, we'll check it out. Thanks. And, and <laughs> you've been incredibly gracious in all that you've said. But I just want to say to you, we are so sorry where I know we, we've got it wrong. I know we've often... Um, you know, not done things we could have done to be more uh, inclusive and and we're, we're just sorry. And thank you for being gracious. Thank you for putting up with insensitive comments and all, probably all the times you've had to bite your tongue. And um, um, yeah, please, please help us, not just now whilst this is the hot button topic, but keep, keep speaking the truth in love. You know, because we, we, we want to grow uh, and become more and more a prophecy about the wonderful multicultural joy of Christian family. Only in Christ can we can we have real celebration of unity. So um, thank you, Grace, and we are sorry. 
Uh, I know I say that on behalf of, of, of many others who, who find themselves in privileged positions and haven't always been aware of how to handle that with humility and generosity. So uh, thank you for your grace. Um, Can I just say one more thing about... Um, yeah. And what we're talking about before, I just want to encourage everyone that your voice is so powerful. Some of the conversations that I've had with people is that they don't know what to say because they're scared of getting it wrong or just saying the wrong thing. But just know that your voice is powerful. God has given us, um, he's given us everything that we need. And actually, as a church, as the church, we should really be pushing this forward because if we're not there's obviously somebody else who will do. And actually we have such an amazing message that will speak into people's identity about um, actually that God loves you. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. Um, he, God gave his only son for you and your identity isn't predominantly found in your melanin count, but ultimately in Jesus. So just remember that your voice is powerful. I love that. Thank you. Let's each of us speak up and do what we can. So God bless you. Thank you, Natalie. We love you dearly. Appreciate you chatting to us. Have a good day. You too.